so you want to read the Bible. You want to study the Bible. You want to know how you can get the most out of your time in God's Word. But you might not know where to start, and you might not be sure if you're even doing it right. Or you're reading the Bible, and you don't quite understand what you're reading. In this lesson, we are going to go through a three-step process to help you read, study, and apply the Bible. Be sure to stick around to the end of this lesson where I'll share with you a free resource that will help you get the most out of your Bible study. Hey, what's up? I'm Joey with Theology For You, where we believe that a right understanding of God's Word is for your good and true worship of God. And before we get to the three-step process to help you read, study, and apply the Bible, we need to lay the foundation of dependence on the Holy Spirit. We need the help of the Holy Spirit to understand the Bible. And we see this in 1 Timothy 2. As Paul writes to Timothy, Think over what I say, for the Lord will give you understanding in everything. What was Timothy to do? Timothy was to think. And thinking is admittedly hard work. But Timothy, he had to do it. But why? Why did he have to do it? For the Lord will give you understanding in everything. The Lord would help Timothy understand what he was thinking over. Likewise, as we study the Bible, we cannot do it in our own strength. We need the help of the Holy Spirit. We express our dependence on the Holy Spirit through prayer. When you study the Bible, pray before you begin, as you're studying, and when you conclude. And remember, you are responsible to study the Bible. Again, Timothy was commanded to think. He had to read. He had to process it. But you can never properly do it in your own strength. So as you read the Bible, begin your time of studying with prayer. Always. And this doesn't have to be elaborate. It can be very simple. And I've been greatly helped by an acronym I learned from John Piper, I-O-U-S. It's four verses from the book of Psalms where we pray the words of the Bible back to God. I incline my heart to you, not to prideful gain or any false motive. Psalm 119, 36. Oh, open my eyes to behold wonderful things in your word. Psalm 119, 18. You unite my heart to fear your name. Psalm 86, 11. S, satisfy me with your steadfast love. Psalm 90, verse 14. I've found this to be a helpful way to orient my heart and express my dependence upon God as I open up to read and study his word. And you don't have to use all four of these every time you read or study the Bible. And to avoid repetition, make the words your own and add a deeper expression of what you mean when you pray those words. After you've laid the foundation of dependence on the Holy Spirit through prayer, then you can begin to read using the three-step process, observation, interpretation, and application. The first step is observation. And this is where the majority of our study should be spent. The majority of the time that you spend reading God's word should be spent in observation. A lot of us move on too quickly from this step and jump right into interpretation and application before we truly understand what's in the passage we're reading. But it's absolutely crucial to first understand what a passage says before trying to determine what the passage means. If we have an incorrect understanding of what the passage says or what's in the text, it will lead us to have an incorrect interpretation and therefore incorrect application to our lives. In this step of observation, a simple question to ask is, what do I see? 
And in order to determine what you see, ask questions and ask a lot of them. You may uncover you have a lot of questions about the text. What does this mean? What's going on here? And that's where the five W's and the one H that we all learned when we were younger are great here. Who, what, when, where, why, and how. As an example, let's use the opening verses of Paul's first letter to Timothy. Paul, an apostle of Christ Jesus, by command of God our Savior, and of Christ Jesus, our hope. To Timothy, my true child in the faith, grace, mercy, and peace from God the Father and Christ Jesus, our Lord. Here are some questions and answers that are the basis of observation. Who is mentioned in these verses? People, we're looking for names. Well, we see Paul, Christ Jesus, God, our Savior, and Timothy. What do we learn about these people? We're looking for descriptions. Well, we see Paul wrote the letter, and he is what? An apostle of Christ Jesus, and he's a spiritual father to Timothy. Then we see God. God here refers to the Father and is described as our Savior. Referring to the Father as Savior is uncommon in the New Testament, which leads us to ask, well, why does Paul call God the Father our Savior? Christ Jesus is described as our hope and our Lord. And Timothy is described by Paul as what? A true child in the faith. How does Paul address Timothy? What's the tone here? Are there any clues in these verses on how Paul might be writing to Timothy? This tone involves the author being gentle or harsh or other emotions. Well, we see Paul's affectionate towards Timothy. He calls him his true child in the faith. He's reminding Timothy of God's sovereignty, which would comfort Timothy as he seeks to be faithful in ministry. He says Jesus is Lord in verse 2. Nothing Timothy faces is outside God's control. Paul also comforts Timothy by writing grace, mercy, and peace from God the Father and Christ Jesus our Lord. Whatever Timothy is facing, he needs God's grace, God's mercy, and God's peace, and he has it in Christ. Why did Paul write to Timothy? What's the purpose? Well, to answer this question, we need to have read the whole book multiple times. And there's a clue in chapter 3, verses 14 and 15. Paul writes, I hope to come to you soon, but I'm writing these things to you so that if I delay, you may know how one ought to behave in the household of God, which is the church of the living God, a pillar and buttress of the truth. So Paul wants Timothy and the church at Ephesus, to know how to conduct themselves in the house of God. Paul's reason for writing the letter is so that the church will know how church should be done. So observation is key here. If you do not observe well, it will be harder to interpret the passage and to obey it. We observe by asking, what do I see? And we get a better understanding of what we see by asking the five W's and one H. Who, what, when, where, why, and how. The second step is interpretation. Observation tells us what we see in the text. Interpretation tells us what the text means. In interpretation, we are determining meaning. We're asking, what does it mean? And to understand the meaning, ask, what is God trying to communicate through the author? And we often discuss the meaning of scripture as if it were subjective, as if each reader gets to decide what the passage is about. But Howard Hendricks helpfully states, if we're to have any hope of interpreting God's word accurately, we've got to start with a fundamental premise. Meaning 
is not subjective thoughts read into the text, but God's objective truth read out of the text. We do not get to subjectively decide what any given passage is about. There is already an an objective truth that the author was intending to communicate. Our job is to determine what that objective truth is. What is God trying to communicate through the author? The biggest key for interpretation is context. And you all have done some of this work already in observation. Context is simply what is around the passage you're studying, both before and after the text. And from our example in 1 Timothy 1, 1 through 2, we need to look at the verses that follow as well as the whole book. And as I already mentioned during our observation, later on in 1 Timothy 3, Paul explains that he was writing to what? Encourage Timothy and also to outline how the church ought to behave. And since Paul is going to lay down commands, he declares his authority as an apostle from the very beginning. Again, 1 Timothy 1.1, Paul an apostle of Christ Jesus by command of God our Savior and of Christ Jesus our hope. Paul is an apostle because God commanded it. God our Savior and Christ Jesus our hope commanded this. So he, Paul, has authority to lay down the commands because they come from God. So Paul's meaning, the interpretation in verse 1, is that he has the authority to lay down the following commands, not because of who he is in and of himself, but because of the command of God. He calls God our Savior because salvation is a key theme in 1 Timothy. And he calls Jesus our hope because Timothy was in a difficult situation. He desperately needed hope. So we see that context is important for our interpretation because we're better able to understand the meaning of one passage in context with the rest of the passage or book. And in other words, Scripture is to interpret scripture. Scripture interprets scripture. One passage or verse helps make sense of another passage or verse. In interpretation, we are determining meaning by asking, what does it mean? And to understand the meaning, ask, what is God trying to communicate through the author? Observation answers, what do I see? Interpretation answers, what does it mean? The third step is application, which answers the so what question. What should I do now? How is God inviting you to respond to what you've read? This is where the rubber meets the road, where faith is put into practice. Our pastor says that unapplied truth is wasted truth. If you spend all of your Bible study time and effort in the first two steps and you never make it to the application, you've wasted your time. It is good to know what the text means, but it is best to know what it means and to live it out, to be transformed. Transformation is the goal of Bible study. If you do not walk away, changed from your time of study, then try again. In two notes here, by way of reminder, the text can only mean one thing. There is only one meaning, not multiple. But when it comes to application, how the text is lived out, there could be multiple legitimate applications. And this is why correctly interpreting the passage is important. If the interpretation is wrong, then the applications will be wrong as well. And the reason the applications can be different is because we're all coming from different life circumstances. For example, in certain scenarios, a young college student will apply a text differently than someone who is retired. And from 1 Timothy 1, 1 through 2, we can make two applications. First, Jesus is our hope. And therefore, every other place we might place our hope will fail us. We need to look to him. We need to look to Jesus for hope. Second, God is our Savior. He helps us in our times of trouble. 
He is the one who saved us from the punishment of sin. He is the one who is saving us from the power of sin. And he is the one who will one day save us from the presence of sin. Therefore, when we face difficulties in life, we need to go to the one who saves us. Application answers the so what question. What should I do now? How is God inviting you to respond to what you've read? And one of the best ways that we can apply the scriptures to our lives is meditation. And as our pastor said, one of the keys of spiritual growth is biblical meditation. Now, we're not going to go too deep on biblical meditation. We'll save that for another time. But one small way that you can practice biblical meditation is to simply find one key phrase or verse from your reading and begin to think deeply about all that verse means and what effect it has on your life. As Don Whitney said, read wide, meditate small. Meaning, you may read several chapters in one sitting, especially if you're using a Bible reading plan, which we highly recommend. But just take one verse or one key phrase that you can bring with you for the day. Begin to think, meditate, and apply that verse to your life. For example, from 1 Timothy 1, one phrase that you can meditate on is Christ Jesus, our hope. As you go throughout the day, you may face situations that may cause you to lose hope. But remember, Christ Jesus is our hope. You have no reason to lose hope. Or you may face a situation that may try and replace Jesus as your hope, such as you may be tempted to hope in money, a job, relationship, or a number of any other things. But remember, it is Christ Jesus who is our hope. In meditation, ask yourself, what's one phrase I can take with me for the day? So far, we've observed, we've interpreted, and applied, but that doesn't mean we're finished quite yet. Just as we started our time of studying the Bible with prayer, we should also conclude our reading and studying the Bible with what? With prayer. Not only do we need the help of the Holy Spirit to understand Scripture, but we need the help of the Holy Spirit to apply the Bible to our lives, leading to transformation. One way that you can pray at the conclusion of studying your Bible is by using another acronym known as the ACTS Prayer Model, which stands for Adoration, Confession, Thanksgiving, and Supplication. Taking what you've just read, you can then pray according to these four categories. Adoration. What did you just learn about God that is worthy of praise? What did you learn about God that you love and respect? Pray those things. Confession. What do you need to confess in light of what you have just read. And also, is there anything else you should confess? Confess those things to God. Thanksgiving. What are some areas or some things that you can thank God for? Do that. Thank him for those things. Supplication. What are some areas that you have needs? Ask God to help apply what you have just read. In summary, begin your study with prayer. And if you'd like, use the acronym I-O-U-S. Then, as you begin to read, spend the majority of your time in observation asking, what do I see? Using the five W's and one H. Who, what, when, where, why, and how. Then, after you've fully observed what is in the text, move on to interpretation and determine the meaning by asking, what does it mean? And specifically, what is God trying to communicate through the author? Then you can move on to application and answer the so what question. What should I do now? How is God inviting you to respond to what you've read? Then find one key phrase or verse that you can meditate on 
throughout the day. And finally, conclude in prayer using the Acts prayer model, if you'd like, and ask God to help you apply what you have just read. And all of this may seem like a lot, but as you begin to put these things into practice, it will get easier to read and study the Bible. And to help you get the most out of your Bible study, we've created a free Bible study guide just for you that covers everything that we talked about today and in future lessons. You can download the guide to your phone so that it's with you wherever you go, or you can print it off, which is what I would recommend, and put it in your Bible so it's there when you're reading and studying God's Word. And if you'd like this free guide, click the link in the description or go to theologyforyou.com backslash guide. Now that we've laid the foundation of studying the Bible, we can move on to discuss five keys for Bible study. And these five keys will help us understand more fully the message of Scripture. If you want to become a better reader of the Bible and want to know what to look for when you read, be sure to check out our next lesson, The Five Keys for Bible Study. And be sure to subscribe for future lessons helping you grow in your faith and your understanding of the Bible. May God open our eyes to behold wondrous things from His Word. If you want to go deeper in your understanding of God and His Word, I want to encourage you to check out our resources at theologyforyou.com. That's theology, F-O-R-Y-O-U.com. I want to thank you if you have rated or reviewed this podcast on Apple iTunes. It's a way to help get this podcast in front of other people who want to grow in their faith and deepen their relationship with God. So thank you for helping other people grow in their faith by rating or reviewing this podcast. Yeah.